Welcome to Heterodox Americana. This is a show about thinking outside the box and examining the conventional wisdom that informs how we think and shapes how we see the world around us. The question that we're ultimately trying to get at is, how do our unexamined ideas impact our ability to thrive as human beings? And it's our intention to unpack some of these ideas, take a fresh, heterodox perspective that hopefully leads us somewhere new. My name is Raphael Freeman, and I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Angie Backus, another one of your hosts. Greetings. Greetings. You know, I just want to start with a random fact. Okay. That the word galaxy is pretty much, it, it's based off the word milk, right? Like, if you think about intergalactic, you can hear, like, the connection between, like, lactose and lactic acid. Right? Is this how the Milky Way got... That's exact. So that's exactly mm. what the Milky Way means. Um, galaxy means like the Milky Way. Really? Yeah. So the Milky Way galaxy is basically saying the Milky Way two times. Oh wow! It's redundant. Yeah, because it was the first galaxy that we knew of. <laughs> right. And then by the time we figured out there were other galaxies, I have um, a question though. Why Milky? Because if you so you know for people who who don't live uh, in, a, in a where light pollution is low enough, uh, it's hard to get away. It, it's hard to get a sense of... It sounds to me like you've never seen the Milky Way, right? But if you can get in a place where it's dark enough and you just look up in the sky, there's a... There's a like milky, a glimmery... There's a milkiness to it. Yeah, I see. Oh, that's pretty. Okay. Yeah. Um, you should Google pictures of the Milky Way just to get like a sense of like mm-hmm. it's, it's very cool to look at uh, especially in real life you're like first time I ever saw it I was completely astounded I was mm. like what is happening there wow it was this German guy named Jens I was with Jens <laughs> we, were, <laughs> we were at camp I guess I'm telling the story now um, we were at camp and I was there with um, this German guy named Jens and I was like Jens what what's all because he was like teaching me constellations and stuff taught me how to build fires Good old Jens. Um, and I look up, and there is this something happening in the sky. And I can't say that I'd ever seen it before. And I was like, "What? what's that? And he's like, oh, that's the Milky Way, Raph. And I was like, wow, that's the Milky Way? Wow, you did Jens and Zach. He did yeah, Zach that's Zach. the Milky Way, Raph. Uh, so that was, um, that was my introduction to the Milky mm. Way. Got it. Yeah. You might think that we're talking about... This in this episode, it really has nothing to do no. with anything. Um, I just wanted to. Random, I like it. Random facts about the Milky Way. I like it. What are what are we going to talk about? So one of the things that <laughs> get back to, um, I, I noticed that there was a lot of talk. Uh, this was before the election, like coming up to the to the election, and listening to people sort of do their predictions about. Um, about what different voting populations would look like, but also, you know, just how we understand it. The, the thing that stood out to me frequently enough was this notion, this idea of people who vote against their own interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I never really liked the level of analysis that I would hear when people would talk about people voting against their own interests. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, you know, I, I guess Donald Trump outperformed uh, his expect, you know, the expected what he was expected to do amongst 
African-American and Latino voters, uh, he outperformed that expectation. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, I think there are lots of people, especially in the cities, who, who question women who, who vote for Donald Trump, given, you know, how Donald Trump presents, um, you know, with regard to women right. anyway. Uh, he's basically, I mean, he's the Me Too president in every way. Um but have you heard any of this this talk about people voting against their their own interests and, and why would they do that? Yeah, why why would they do that? <laughs> I have heard that often. You know, I've had thoughts of that myself. To be honest, um, I if I don't slow down and maybe consider a deeper analysis, uh, my thoughts definitely go towards that at times. Like, why would somebody do that? You know, um, but I guess if that's a real question, then probably there are answers. Yeah, I mean, so I I have a whole construct in my head, and you know, maybe we can get to that, maybe, maybe not. But you know, I have a firm belief that people don't actually vote against; they they don't do anything against their own interests. Uh, not really. What if they're not completely informed? So if you're not completely informed, can you vote against, mm. you know, I mean, all of your interests are, are so th- I think there's a group, right? Uh, if you assume that people are rational, and people are way more rational than I think the high and mighty, I don't know, there's like a group of people out there who are, um, they love to think that they're better. They use terms like sheeple. These people don't know any better. Um, I call those the high and mighty, right? Sort of self-righteous. I went to this school. Uh, they think they know more than everyone. And maybe they do. Um, but w- when we look at how people understand their own interests, it's always with regard to the information that they have at hand. Uh, and I think people are way more rational than than the high and mighty give them credit for. There is an exception. right? Um, so sometimes we're all irrational around some things. Um, and... There are a few, you know, like there are a few hot spots, right? Like uh, I, I'm, I may be irrational around coffee. Like I'll spend more money on coffee than, than most people should. Um, when it comes to our family, or when we feel threatened, but also people who aren't like mentally stable, right? Mentally, mental illness mm-hmm. sort of throws off. Like I've never met a rational schizophrenic, mm-hmm. and I've met some schizophrenics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they're doing something else. Um, but uh, for the most part, people are rational, and I don't think that they act against their own interests. Um, it's just that we don't understand what their interests are. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So perhaps that conclusion that you're acting against your own um, interests, you know, what I introduced was maybe they're ill-informed or they're not informed, which I think may be... Um, it may have a, a nod towards what you're calling a high and mighty, you know, this thought that you're just not, you're not as informed as you should be. So maybe you're, you know, you're not thinking the way that you should think. You're saying that perhaps they're thinking the way they think and they're very connected to what they want. And so it's not about um, the lack of information, whatever information they have, somehow it's appropriate for them. Can you give me some examples of this? 
Yeah, so I mean, there there are two things that sort of intersect here. One that you're talking about is uh, the completeness of information, right? Mm-hmm. How complete is your information? How well informed are you? How much do you know? How much do you understand? Right. That that would be the example for me of um, if you are. So I'm just going to say, if you're going to vote for Donald Trump, then for, for me, I, I particularly with this pandemic. My thought is you're ill-informed because people are dying and there's science behind mask wearing. And um, if we, you know, if we pretend like he had mentioned that we should just pretend that it's going to go away, more and more people die every day, which is what's happening. Right. So when I think of something like that, you're voting in your, uh, the not in your best interest. My thought is, well, yeah, you're, you're going to get corona and COVID and die. That's your, it, unless that's your interest. I don't know. <laughs> so that's, that's actually interesting because it makes me think about how big the problem is and maybe why people do fall into this this way of thinking. I'm not saying you, you fall in, I mean, I guess I'm sort of implying that, but. Um, <laughs> Should be interesting. But uh, <laughs> perhaps there are more moving parts that I, I didn't consider. Um, so there's the completeness information problem that you're talking about, right? How much information do you have? How complete is that information? How well informed are you? There's also uh, something that I hadn't considered is how complete your information needs to be given. uh, So maybe there's an intersection between the level of completeness of information that you're seeking given a particular interest. Um, So there could be an interest that is more important than another. Oh, for sure. And And I think that's part of the third issue which is, you know, how we how do we understand other people's interests and the fact that they have competing interests. They have layered interests, right? Right. Um, so can I just throw in here, just as you continue, so would you consider death being one of those things that maybe they could have an interest higher than staying alive and being well? No. Okay. No. Because then you don't need to vote because you'll be dead of COVID-19, so... So uh, th- this is a mistake I think classical econ- you know uh, ec- economists make right and classical economics in general. I had a lot of coffee. Um, one of the things that that classic economics assumes uh, is that you know people are maximizing creatures. They're rational maximizing creatures. That is to say that if you could get uh, one loaf of bread for two dollars. And you could get two loaves of bread for $3 that you would take the two loaves of bread. Mm -hmm. And if you could get four loaves of bread for, I don't know, um, four loaves of bread for $3.50, then you would take that option. Mm -hmm. But, you know, even though there's this assumption in classical economics that people are always maximizing, at some point, like, how many loaves of bread? There are lots of people who, who will take that deal. They'll figure out ways to um, to freeze the bread. They got bread in their downstairs freezer. I'm not saying that there aren't people who totally maximize in that way. Mm-hmm. But there are also people who say, I only need this loaf. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, but this one is free. It's like, no, nah, I don't need it. Right. Like, there are loads of people out there like that who are not maximizing in that way. No, mm-hmm. they may do something uh, that looks like maximizing behavior, but like not in the economic realm. Right. Um, but but there are complex interests. So 
you know, the only reason I bring in classic economics here is because there are a set of assumptions that undergird the, the entire model. And then, you know, now we have better models, too. There's behavioral economics, things of that sort. Uh, but even with this assumption that death is, um, that death might be, or preventing death might be the highest interest for, for some people, it's just not true. There's a set of assumptions that sort of, you know, like make that assumption, I guess is, you know, that, that's an assumption that's built into that, that's that questioning. But imagine people who run into fires. Right. But I, I'm talking about the ill-informed uh, part of this, right? So it's not just that there are people that run into fires and are willing to die. That's true. But there's the there are people that are ill-informed that say science isn't real. We don't need to wear masks. The whole thing is a hoax. Um, and Donald Trump is right when he says it's just going to go away. That's different than the information piece. So let let let, let me come back to the the science uh, isn't real thing um, because right right now it sounds that you're at the intersection. So if we try to understand these things, right? One is how much information do you have? The other one is, how well do we understand their interests? Uh, and then where they meet in the middle, the nexus of that thing is, how much information do they need given their interests? Uh, but let's talk about supermarkets. Completeness of information is really hard, and we can't do it. Uh, I'm sure you've been in the line at a supermarket where it seemed like one line was moving faster than the other, or one line seems shorter, sure. and then you, you switch lines. You jump in, and then the other line. And then the other line moves yeah. faster. Same thing happens in traffic, right? Especially mm-hmm. if you're a city driver. Mm-hmm. Those patient people, <laughs> always, those patient people who are always driving back to suburbs, and they never switch lanes. I'm always like, what, why, what are you doing? Um, it's always crazy to me. I was like, what? Uh, obviously, I'm a particular type of driver, right? Um, but... If you've ever switched lanes driving, uh, same thing in the supermarket. If you've ever switched lanes driving in order to get in the ever so slightly faster lane, because mm-hmm. right? what are you going to save? 40 seconds? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've ever switched again to the ever so slightly faster lane, <laughs> and then the lane that you just left starts to move, and you're like, ah, right. It's because you didn't have enough information really to guess. Mm -hmm. Um, If you were at a supermarket, you could, in fact, get enough information. This is how you would do it in real life if you wanted complete information in a supermarket. You would figure out which, you know, supermarket checkout person moves the fastest Mm -hmm. in general, right? Their average rate. So you might do some surveillance. You might pay attention. You might study which of the cashiers is actually faster in general. Then you would have to survey and see what people were buying, their payment methods, and how long those payment methods would take. You would have to do that for both lines. Mm-hmm. Then, after you tallied the, the, your trajectory of wait time for each line, then you would pick the right line that was going to be the fastest. The problem is the amount of research and evidence gathering and number crunching that you would need to do in order to get that complete information would outstrip all of the benefits of just picking a line. Mm-hmm. Like picking a line, even if you pick the slowest line, it would still be faster than doing all of that research. Right. And so we do this. So here's a classical economics term. We do something called satisficing, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, it suffices. It satisfies. Uh, we satisfy us to say, 
uh, I think this is good enough. Hmm. Right? It's good enough information given the time constraints, given the information that we have, and given the goals. Um, you're simply not going to do... You're not going to do that amount of research for something where the payoff is so small, right? We satisfy. So to take this idea of the problem of um, of satisfying and getting complete information, here's another real life example. I've ne- I've read none, zero, of the climate change research. Zero. I read an article that talks about how bad this is. I might read. A report on um, uh, a report on a paper that talks about how bad this is, and I generally come to the conclusion that anthropogenic—it's uh, not even a conclusion, just to the opinion that anthropogenic climate change is real. It's destructive for the, the climate, but outside of one statistician and, and the scientists that I know, uh, I don't know a single person who has wrestled with the actual data, the actual papers. Uh, around climate science, not a single lawyer that I know, not a single academic who you know isn't a scientist. I, 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 no one reads it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying no one reads it, um, but we come to this belief not because we we get the data ourselves, not because we've read the, our, the paper and come to our own conclusion. We trust a certain segment of the population and trust in their authority. We trust in their ability. We trust the fact that they tell the truth. And it, it's our trust that is really satisfying. Uh, that's a satisfying behavior. So you, that's a satisfying behavior for you, that you trust that people have done enough research on climate change that, that you can trust that. It's a satisfying behavior when you don't do the information collection yourself and, right. and then say, okay, this is good enough information for me. And that's what you've done with the climate change. Yeah, that's certainly what I've done and what every person that I know, minus five people, uh, it's what they've done. Right. So are you suggesting then that the the denial, the pandemic deniers, they are satisficing? Yeah, I mean, I think we're all satisficing mm-hmm. all the time. But also it has to do with what is important to us. So I'll just give you a scenario. Say you are the type of person who, let's say you're, you're disagreeable anyway, even if you're not, right? Your husband just died, and you, you can't wait to get to heaven to see him. Uh, and you're looking forward to reuniting with your dead husband. If that's the case, right, your interest might not be to live as long as possible, your interest might be, I can't wait to see Sammy again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I got to wear this mask and make my my life miserable, um, then maybe I don't need to, right? Um, when's my time to go? It's my time to go. I can't wait to see Sammy again anyway. Uh, the, the level of analysis that I need to do, even the amount of information that I need to gather, given my interest is different for the person who says, I want to live as long as possible, right? They need to consider and they need to weigh the information in different ways because they have different goals, because they have different interests. That's the intersection. Okay. Um, So then parsing through this uh, kind of what you've brought up around 
people, the notion that people are voting against their best interest. Um, can you give ex- examples of that? Um, you know, this, uh, what you were mentioning is oftentimes this is said about um, the black African-American vote and the Latino vote. Um, and how would it not be against the best interest of, of those groups? Well, I mean, it's hard to parse out group interests. And, uh, you know, to the degree that we can parse out group interests at all, it has to do with a group that defines themselves in a particular way, uh, defines themselves, not being defined by us, you know, as outsiders. Um, So if you were to think about, let's say, because I think you really need to see this at the individual level, and then it's possible to go out to the group Um, But if we look at individual interests, uh, say that my interest is just to be a loyal American, loyal to the president. And we know from moral foundations theory uh, that there are some people in the world for whom it is a moral imperative to be loyal, that loyalty and and both group loyalty and respect for authority are moral imperatives. Uh, and I think for people for whom that's not a morality issue, it's very hard to wrap your brain around um, being loyal um, to the group and having respect for the thor- for authority. It, it's very hard to wrap your brain around those being moral issues, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but for people for whom they are moral issues, then all of a sudden, the, the sort of loyalty thing that we see, uh, you know, that surrounds Donald Trump and surrounds like, you know, not breaking with the party line. I can't say that it makes sense to my head, but like there, there is a way to understand that. Um, and, and if your interests, if you have as a primary interest being of right moral fiber and that morality includes loyalty and respect for authority, then in a very real way, you're, you're not acting against your, your interests. This is, uh, I, you know, probably one of our very first shows was on uh, moral foundations theory. And, and this was, this is the whole mm-hmm. premise of that, that, you know, there are different ways that people believe that they're, you know, conservatives and people who might consider themselves more liberal and they're very different. Right, that's a good catch, actually, to reference the Moral Foundations Theory episode that, that we did, just so that uh, people have a, 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 an understanding of what we're talking about. I think it's like maybe episode three or... Three or four it's, or something. Yeah, it's in the top. Really it's early. in the first five. Yeah, you know, it, I do get, right, and even for my own brain, it's hard for me to to wrap my head around what loyalty looks like in that way, because that that's actually not my morality, right? I don't have a, a, a morality that includes respect for authority. And I can really only understand it, um, you know, academically. I, I can't really feel it viscerally in the same way. Whereas, um, you know, Jonathan Haidt give, gives an example um, where if you found out that two siblings were hooking up, a brother and a sister, and uh, they just decided to, um, you know, whisk away for the weekend and um, just this one time, decide to make love. They take precautions to make sure that no one is going to get pregnant. It won't result in a child no matter what. 
um, and they have a great time. They grow closer. Uh, it it improves their bond, and they love each other in the way that they had always wanted to. Right. right. They revisit the idea and said that it's just going to be a one time thing. Um, but if we think about if we think about the idea of a brother and sister making love for the weekend. Uh, for most of for most people, it's going to be the cringiest. Ob- it's going to be any. objectionable <laughs> enough, cringy enough, gross enough that you will have a visceral feeling mm-hmm. of of where the morality comes from. Right? You you'll say that's wrong in all these ways that you you think are intellectual ways, but really just feels wrong to you on the inside. And it's hard for me to conjure up that same feeling of wrongness. For you know, people who step outside of uh, respect for authority, or people who don't have respect for authority, and people who aren't loyal to the group, uh, I don't have that same visceral sense. I can only understand it intellectually. Mm-hmm. But there are people in the world, um, mostly conservatives, who the level of visceral disgust, the level of visceral moral objection, feels like to them. Like two brothers or two, you know, like uh, two siblings making love, mm-hmm. right? Um, and with regard to this loyalty issue, with regard yeah. to the the loyalty issue and the respect for authority, right? um, and it's just different, right? Like I can't pretend like I, I get it, get it. Um, but you know, there's another thing that I consider that that's hard for people like me. You know, I'm the type of conservative that that wants nothing to do with Donald Trump, right? And there are loads of us out there. There's a the Lincoln Project. There, are, you know, Republican voters against Trump. It's not like a small contingency, um, but these are people who are more loyal to the the notion of what the United States is and, and could be, as opposed to being loyal to a party or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so I'll I'll say that. Although intellectually, I can sort of wrap my head around the people who are just doggedly loyal to Donald Trump. I can wrap my head around it because, you know, there's a a sort of psychological framework that I can use to sort of understand what's what's going on, more foundations theory and so on and so forth. Um, You know, it's not until I think about what if, you know, again, back to their interests, what if there were a candidate that rung all my bells in the same way? Now, no such candidate exists and, and probably couldn't, right? Uh, they would have to both, you know, if, if, if there were someone who uh, was for the upliftment of black people and reducing inequality um, between the, the wealthiest Americans and the poorest Americans who were there about food security and environmental protection and just like hit just rung all my bells in terms of what I wanted to see in the world Mm -hmm. um reduce the harm of capitalism um if there were such a candidate that rung all my bells in the same way all the things that I think are important you know I would probably feel I you know I, I would have some I think I would feel differently and even able to overlook maybe some glaring like issues if if they're ringing most of the really important issues for you you would be able to say yeah that other stuff i can put that aside a bit yeah yeah no i mean i think so um 
You know, so, yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely think so. Uh, when I think about most, so uh, Facebook is a really bad example, right? Um, but there's a disproportionate, from what I've seen on my Facebook feed, there's a disproportionate amount of um, disgust and upset and anger um, around the treatment of, of let's say, the kids in cages, right? I don't know a better word for but You know what I mean when I say the kids in cages. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the outrage is disproportionate from my Hispanic friends than from any other group. Disproportionate in which way? There's more outrage from my Hispanic friends than from any other group. Um, Which is not to say that other, you know, let's say ethnic and racial groups, Vietnamese, Chinese American, black, white, European. um, It's not to say that, that they don't find the kids in cages reprehensible. Uh, it's not to say that they don't find it disgusting, but they're clearly not as bothered as the Hispanic, you know, friends that I have who are mm-hmm. very bothered by it. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's not a coincidence and, and it's not hard to understand. So, you know, again, I want to be careful because it's not that I'm saying that I have friends who are willing to look past what's happening, but there are other interests for them that take priority. There are other things that are more concerning for them. Um, that, that, that's all. And, you know, if, if there were a leader or some candidate that rung, like, all of my most important bells, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how reasonable and how objective I could be if some, you know, milk toast candidate was going to replace that person. Hmm. Well, and I think that's a good point because of course we know that, you know, some people, particularly the the conservative right, you know, abortion is huge and abortion um what they they call themselves, you know, pro life and so if they feel as if that is the most important issue and they think that you know this that this cannot be overlooked at the expense of anything else and i guess you know you could see that you know donald trump even though i don't what whatever <laughs> donald trump is probably going to you know be somebody that they are willing to look past some of the things he says if they really think that this is the most important issue um, so I, I, you know, I, I can get that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess I can get how your brain says I'll, I'll, I'll disregard all those other things because the thing that I think that is the most important thing, the thing that I think is the most dangerous thing is what I'm going to take care of first. And, and one might even question, even the things that, that we say that they're ignoring or looking past may not be important to them anyway. Hmm. Right. Um, If they think it's, you know, if if grabbing them by the pussy is is reprehensible to some. I mean, there are others who think, yeah, we should grab by the pussy, Mm -hmm. in which case that's not something that they need to look past. That's like, I agree. Yeah, that's always. I mean, it's a whole other issue, but that's always confused me about the morality issue, because usually the abortion argument is one of high morality and it comes a lot out of the church so 
you know, it just seems very inconsistent. But that that can be something else. I'm yeah, ju- I'm just yeah. saying. So, um, but yeah, I, I I hear that that there are things that maybe you don't look past. But I think to your point, you know, if you, if these really important bells and whistles that are getting rung for you that you have um, considered are re- of you know great importance around how things could change for the better, um, that maybe you could, as you said, overlook some of the things that may not completely jive with all of, of your um, value. Right. Um, and I think that that's, you know, I mean, unless somebody completely agrees with Donald Trump, which, wow. But if, if somebody did, then, you know, there, there's one really, you know, hard line but there's those things that perhaps he offers enough of that you can look past those things that you could say well you know that that's not great but there's this huge thing that i i believe in that he does uphold so i'm willing to look past it so yeah no i i think that that is how and and i want to be careful right i don't want to seem like a trump supporter apologist right Mm -hmm. this is not um this is not a defense of people who vote for Donald Trump or defense of people who vote for Joe Biden or, or any other candidate. You're just trying to parse through how people think. Yeah, it's more it's more this, this, this general understanding that no matter how irrational you think people are, they're not nearly as rational um, as you think. And, and a lot of the time, the reason that we think this voter is irrational or this person is irrational is because we take our sense of our morality mm-hmm. or our interests or our desires and then we project it onto that person and say, if you want this type of life, this can't possible, possibly be rational behavior for you. Um, but that doesn't mean that you understand their world necessarily. Right. And I think to your point earlier, you know, this is like, it's a really, um, I think, very, it's a pretty extreme um, example or imagery around, you know, this brother and sister going away for the weekend um, where somebody could say, how in the world could you do it? How in the world? You know, this this idea that there is absolutely no way that could ever get to that place to say, I could see myself doing it. I could see myself going away with a sibling. Um And, you know, that's probably the majority of the population, but, you know, the few that could say, well, some that could say, okay, well, to each his own, because that was, that's kind of the example in, in Haidt's book was, you know, that some people could get to the place where they would say, stop my business to each his own. Yeah. If there's no harm done, if there's no child produced, because that was the other sticky point, because we know that, you know, there's a a higher risk of a genetic defect. And so I took that out by saying no kid's going to be born. Right. So what are they hurt? Who are they hurting? Who are they harming? Um, and so, you know, there are those that might go in that direction. But I think to your point, you know, it's that place that we feel like we couldn't possibly get our mind around it mm-hmm. to say, I can't even begin to understand how somebody could vote for Trump out of their interest when perhaps you're not considering you know, that there is a way that they've gotten their mind around it that you haven't considered. Right. Yeah, it's hard to... I mean, I don't know why I, I, I spend time trying to understand, um, you know, the minds uh, of people who are different than me. Um, but you really do have to step outside of yourself and sort of, you know, leave your 
your entire world, your entire frame uh, of reference at the door in order to step into and see through the eyes of someone else and understand that, you know, maybe it was easier for me because as a child, I hated chocolate ice cream. Hmm. And I didn't like cake either. In fact, the last birthday party that I had, I was I was six years old. Um, and no, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, so yeah, you're not sad. I think that was your choice, wasn't it? Yeah, I no, I was, I, was, I, I was six years old and um, my mother invited all my friends and she also invited the children of her friends. And, you know, we've already sworn, on, you know, we've already used a swear word on, on this episode. So I'm going to go ahead and say it. At six, I was like, who the fuck are these people? Right? Mm. Who are these little kids? I don't know these little kids. Uh-oh. <laughs> and you know they want to partake in the whole thing they want piece of the cake i'm fine with this right have as much cake as you like you know why because i don't like cake <laughs> neapolitan ice cream i'm willing to share the chocolate part right because eat you know oh that's your favorite chocolate ice cream eat eat your heart out right eat it till yeah just go for it the strawberry part of Neapolitan ice cream, I was a little, I was a little like, with, you know, hmm. I mean, that's fine. I'm willing to share, especially with my friends. But these random kids that I don't know, you guys get chocolate. Like, that's what you get. <laughs> then it came to vanilla, which is my favorite. And I'm unwilling to share the vanilla because it's mine. This is my ice cream. This is my ice cream. It's my birthday. And when my mom started giving away that vanilla ice cream, let me tell you, I was beside myself. I was like, this is unjust. This is unfair. Um, I'm pointing my finger like Malcolm X as a kid. Um, You couldn't tell me that there was any justice in this. And uh, she's like, well, you got to share. And I was like, sharing is for suckers. And, you know, I stormed upstairs and I was like, forget this party. And I never came down. She was like, you got to come down to your party. I was like, fuck this party. You know, like whatever. As a six-year-old, like, fuck this party. Um, and I never came down. And then that was never repaired. I never had I never had a birthday party again. That was it. Um, your choice, sir? She said no more birthday. Oh, no. That was my choice. Mm-hmm. It was at this point where I became the curmudgeon that I am. No Christmas, no birthdays, no celebrations of any kind. That's not true. Christmas lasted for another probably five. I think Christmas lasted until I was like 11, 12, 13 or something mm-hmm. like that. And then I was done with Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I have since, as an adult, come to understand the mind of chocolate ice cream eaters. Oh, right? wow, there's a mind of a chocolate ice cream It's eater. the mind of a chocolate ice cream eater. I don't understand, for my own taste buds, why anybody would choose to eat chocolate ice cream. And every time someone is like, oh, I want chocolate, that's my favorite. I mean, there's a visceral like confusion for me. Like, oh my God, like what, what's happening? But then I have to come to understand that we all like different flavors. Wow, Rafa. Isn't that, that deep? Really? <laughs> wow. What a nugget. <laughs> we all like different flavors. I don't want to eat pancakes. I want to eat waffles. I really don't want to eat pancakes, right. right? And if I have to choose between like pancakes and that's the only choice and no waffles, I'll eat nothing, right? I'm not going to eat some pancakes. There are people out there who they love pancakes. They go to pancake dinners, right? We're all different. 
And so wrapping my head around me as an adult trying to wrap my head around the people who have interests and likes that are very different from mine certainly started with chocolate ice cream. And that might seem trivial, um, but I think the extension of that is is a real one. There are people who want to live in a world, right? I want to live in a world where chocolate ice cream is banned. There's Are you no more. really? There's a lot going on around this chocolate. This, this is how I am. I I just want to say I think that this is how I am. There should be some deeper if I were, probing into this. If I were king of the world, got it. No chocolate ice. Cream. I would ban chocolate ice cream and many of the things. I would ban Madonna. There'd be no more Madonna music. Rafael, anywhere. where are we going with this? I'm just saying. <laughs> But I've had to wrestle with trying to understand the likes of other people, right? Because they're not mine. They want to live in a world that is different than the world that I want to live in. That's really the point that I'm trying to get at. And I want to live in a world that's different than the world they want to live in. And then if I have to see Donald Trump supporters through those eyes, it's like, oh, they they want to live in a world that is different than the world that I want to live in. Mm -hmm. And that's generally the case for us. Mm So frequently enough that I, I don't have to, I don't have to empathize or sympathize mm-hmm. with those people, mm-hmm. but I do have to understand that they're not irrational. They're not crazy. They're not voting against their own interests. They simply want to live in a world that's different than the world that I want to live in. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get there, particularly mm-hmm. if you think, you know, like where I started, like, I'm like, really you want to die of COVID-19 or you want somebody that, you know is going to support the Proud Boys. What? What? (laughs) But, you know, I think if I stay just connected to my own understanding of how this works, of course I'm not going to get there. Um, And, you know, just like with uh, you and chocolate and I guess vanilla being your your preferred flavor. Right. um, What it's like to consider that something that you would abhor that would be appealing to someone else. Exactly that, and you know, I'm glad, I'm glad <laughs> that you brought up the ice cream thing again because let because let me I'm not sure if I am because let me it. say this: there are, there are, there are people in the world that they just have mild feelings about ice cream, right? Whereas, like, yes, they might have a different preference, right? But also, their preferences aren't so volatile. They aren't so uh, they they aren't so polemic about their their own preferences. Yeah. So it's not just that I have a different preference. I also have really strong preference for my own stuff and a dislike for... Like, I can't listen to the music of other people, right? Drives me crazy. I only want to listen to my own music. So, but but I really music by artists that you like. Right. Sounded like all of a sudden you were like the most prolific musician. Right. I am the most prolific. (laughs) No, but yes, music by artists that that I happen to like Mm -hmm. and and the recording that I like. Right. So like, I don't even want to hear a different recording of Mm -hmm. like the same song. Uh, But what's crazy ridiculous about my preferences is that there's, they're so heated, right? They're so, I'm so hot about it. Um, some rigid thinking right there. Absolutely. <laughs> like a pork hot dog? I will throw it in your face. How dare you? Even at a barbecue. I mean, I'm not literally going to throw it at, but like, if you serve me a pork hot dog, which is like, or even worse, like a chicken hot Have you ever had a chicken hot dog? Some people don't have strong feelings about hot dogs. I have really strong feelings about the ice cream, about the cake, about the hot dog, about Madonna, about the music that I listen to, about the cups that I drink out of. 
I drink out of the same two cups every day. Well, there, well, you know, it sounds like you have, you're very connected to your own level of understanding of what you like, and that's okay. Radical acceptance could be the next charge for you, but I understand you are where you are. Right. <laughs> and go ahead, to your point. But, but I'm saying look at that intensity, though. Yes. So, so, so for some people, it's about the kind of world that they want to live in, and they have a lot of fluidity around the types of ways that things could go. Sure. And then there are other people who are really intense about this is the world that I want to live mm-hmm. in, and I will take you down mm-hmm. if you bring the wrong hot dog. Right. right? Like right. that is, and we have to understand that that person exists too. And sometimes they have guns Apparently and sometimes they. they don't, but like that's a whole group of people. Yes. That's yes. all I'm saying. Got it. Well, now we know that if you're, you know, if anybody's planning on having Raphael over anytime after COVID, because he's not leaving until then, no pork hot dog and no chocolate ice cream, right? That's off the menu for you. You're not coming. That's correct. Well, I think it's important, again, you already said it, but I guess, you know, for my own sense of uh, kind of knowing what's out there, what we're putting out there, there's, this isn't a endorsement for anybody, one way or the other, certainly. Um, again, it's, it's to understand that if we are quick to consider that we know that somebody else has already understood that they're thinking and voting against their own interest, that might want to think again. They probably, you know, I, I thought it was really a simplistic, but, you know, not profound statement, but it made sense when you were, when you were saying, well, nobody's voting against their own interests. Because it's true. Why would you go to the voting box and say, I'm deliberately now voting against everything I want? I mean, in some level, you've decided that this is your best interest. Um, and I think getting to that place where others could understand that they've kind of parsed this through as much as they do, any of us do, and um, for you to be so bewildered that they would vote against their best interest, perhaps it's just taking a step back and thinking, hmm, I wonder where this breaks down for them. I mean, right. what is their best interest? Right. It, yeah. I mean, I, I think frequently we, decided, yeah. we, we just don't understand the things that they deem most important in the world. Right. And sometimes that's, you know, sometimes it's economics and sometimes it's long life, but sometimes it's, you know, duty. Morality, whatever, you know, loyalty. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes it's honor. Whatever happened to honor? Honor is not a part of like my language. Right. I never talk about honor. Uh, but for some people, it's like honor. It's duty. It's loyalty. It's heaven. It's you know all types of things that don't show up on my map whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And if we don't consider that that people are rational, then I think it's very easy to think that we understand their interests uh, because we're really looking at our ourselves uh, and our map of the world. And, um, yeah, it's not the case. Yeah, well, I think this is it for us. Um, Thanks for checking us out. And if you want to rate and review, that would be great. It gets people um, to our podcast. So see ya.